Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you for joining again today at the Creation Innovation. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Dr. Landay from RMA Los Angeles. Thanks for being here, Dr. Landay. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to be talking to you again today. I know. So I had the privilege of meeting her in person at an event a few months ago and had a really great conversation that I talk about often with people now that we have this awareness of doctors that is a little bit different than in previous, at least even the doctors that I had interaction with when I was going through it, that really understand the bigger picture of the emotional journey that patients are going through, that it's not just you know, the scientific perspective of the egg and the sperm and getting it together. And these are the the chances that you have for success and really kind of taking that one step further to understanding the patient experience through the emotional journey that they're going through. And I really appreciated that conversation that we had in person, which is what led me to hunt you down to have you on this podcast and talk about this. And today we're going to talk first about recurrent pregnancy loss. And for anybody who is listening that may be going through it and or not through it at all, hopefully, but maybe knows somebody that's going through it. Dr. Landay, can you define for us what is considered recurrent pregnancy loss by medical standards? Because I think a patient may be thinking something different from what, you know, the medical standard is considered at this point. Yes. So we consider recurrent pregnancy loss two or more Um, pregnancy losses of any kind. So it can be visualized. It used to be only clinical pregnancy losses, which are pregnancies which we visualized on ultrasound and we saw um, anatomic evidence of. But now we are including pregnancies that are not visualized. So either pregnancies of unknown location or um, biochemical pregnancies where women get a positive pregnancy test, but then we never, they miscarry before we even have a chance to see anything on ultrasound. Okay. And previously, it what had been three at some point, correct? It, it as had far been as- three. Yes, it had been three. Um, and now we've decreased it to two um, because at that point, the risk significant, and that point, the risk significantly increases. And it is worthwhile. You're going, you're, it's worthwhile to do it because approximately the same percentage of women who have, you identify something and that's causing it is the same as in two or in three. So why would you wait? For them to have a third miscarriage when you can identify it after two. Amen to that. <laughs> and I think for all the people that have had the two, you two is enough, right? You feel like- Two is probably okay. more than enough for most women. Yeah. Yes. I remember for myself do, getting the first one and feeling like, okay, check the box on the statistic. I'm the one in four. And then the second time it happened, you're like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't supposed to happen. That was like the rug- pulled from under you again because you thought, okay, we've been down this road and can check that that box. And 
not really knowing, of course, why it happened and always wanting to know why it happened. So talk about this recurring pregnancy loss panel is, you know, this, I feel like a mystery test to a lot of people that (laughs) oftentimes don't really get an answer. Yeah, so you, we want to talk about the evaluation and workup that we do when we yeah. So after you have two losses, what do you what do you do? What do you what what should you say to your doctor? What happens after that point? So there are there are several several different causes that we want to look for um, that we know for a fact cause an increased risk of miscarriage. Okay, Um, so one of them is the karyotypes or the chromosome analysis in both of the parents. So in the female and the male, Um, because um, a a karyotype is looking at their all their pairs of chromosomes. And what we're looking for is rearrangements in those chromosomes. So looking for pieces of chromosomes that are swapped or less commonly a piece of a chromosome that is flipped upside down, it's called an inversion, because these can increase. um, What happens is when those chromosomes are transmitted to the eggs or the sperm, then it can cause what we call unbalanced chromosome uh, content in the egg or the sperm, and then the embryo ends up being chromosomally abnormal, causing an increased uh, risk of miscarriage. And I think uh, some people will refer to those as balanced translocations and Things so like balance that, is that, Robertsonian translocations and inversions, right? Right. So I think if you hear of that, and or you know that you have one of those things already, it going into pregnancy is probably a good idea to have your partner checked. In fact, I, I wouldn't even think that that's not an option if you already have an awareness of that from where I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen too, unfortunate cases where they have that recognition after the fact and have really devastating results from that. but Right, correct. You should always test both partners um, because it could arise from either one. And that comes up on the um, karyotyping from the recurring last panel? So, yes. Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll check, um, we will check an actual karyotype or chromosome analysis of both, of both parents, of both people who are involved in the couple. And so we, we will check them both to make sure that neither has um, a chromosome abnormality. Okay. So yep. assuming that everybody's fine from that perspective, then yep. what's next? So, well, I typically do a lot of this all at the same time because okay. like a karyotype can take three or four weeks to come back. So you don't really want to wait necessarily for that to come back. Um, right. Doing nothing in the meantime, most people don't have that kind of patience to be waiting at the point once they've come to see me, right? Absolutely. So I will also, you also want to do an assessment of the uterus um, and the uterine cavity because we're, and in this case, we're looking for several things. We are looking for uh, developmental abnormalities or congenital abnormalities of the uterus. Um, Most specifically, one called a septum which is like a fibrous divider in the middle of the uterus that we know increases the risk of miscarriage. And how common is that? Um, well, uterine... Is that pretty so, rare that you see that? No. Um, congenital uterine anomalies account for maybe um, uh, 10 to 15% of all recurrent pregnancy loss versus a prevalence of about 7% in the general population. So we find them not 
infrequently. Okay. That's good to know. So if you're, you know that about yourself, you're not as special in that regard that you may think you are. (laughs) Right. Well, and a lot of people actually don't know that about themselves because if they have had no reason to have an ultrasound up until then, these kind of abnormalities are not, they don't have symptoms from them. They wouldn't know about them. Um, They don't cause any other problems aside from potentially problems with fertility. So a lot of people come to me and not even, I'm the, and I'm the first person that's ever told them they have this problem with their uterus. Surprise. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Right. Okay. And so what else do you do through that? Through the process of figuring out what what those recurring. So uh, for otherwise in the imaging aspect though, I look for, I look to make sure there's no masses inside the uterine cavity, like a polyp or a fibroid um, that's inside the cavity. Now, the data is not as clear regarding the causes of polyps and fibroids as causes of miscarriages. We know they're, we know that they are associated with infertility. The data regarding recurrent miscarriages is less, uh, is less consistent, um, and removal of those does not have the same impact on in the future. Nevertheless, I think all of my colleagues um, that I know, if they find something inside the uterine cavity and a person who's having recurrent losses, we are clearly going to want to remove it. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. Again, so going back to everything's clear with the uterus, everything's yep. clear on the karyotyping. Yep. So where do we land then? So we also want to look um, at something called antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. Um, This is an acquired um, autoimmune condition. And we look for three different antibodies in the patient's bloodstream. And we know that those, if present, those antibodies cause these little microclots, um, can cause little microclots that um, can affect the placenta in a developing pregnancy. And so we, that is a known, actually recurrent miscarriage is one of the diagnostic criteria for antiphospholipid syndrome. So we know that this affects um, miscarriage and we have a definitive way to treat that if it's present. Okay. That's good to know because I think a lot of people feel like if they have that, that they it's just going to be inevitable that they won't be able to carry a baby to term, but that's actually not true. No, that's not true. So we um, we treat it with um, baby aspirin and blood thinners, usually Lovenox, um, and that does help to increase um, the chance of having a successful pregnancy. And I just want to say, because I see this a lot, if you see somebody else who has gone down this road and has been taking baby aspirin or Lovenox, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be taking it as well. So don't self-diagnose based on somebody else's situation. Talk to your doctor. Make sure you have run these tests that actually tell you what your body needs and requires in order to, to get there. Because I think so many people see somebody who has gone through losses and then ha- has a successful pregnancy and thinks, I'm going to go do that now, right? I want my doctor to put me on the baby aspirin because Susie Q got pregnant after she did that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that is what is needed for you. That is correct. And when somebody is in that state of desperation and devastation after these 
you know, let's just call it the two losses, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're already feeling that way after one, but two, then you really feel like, where do I go from here? What, what's the next step after you get these answers back, assuming again, let's say there is no answer because, and I'm using myself as an example, my answer, I'm going to chalk it up to my age, but for somebody who's younger, that might not be the obvious place to look is the age factor. But for somebody who is younger, do, what do you suggest as a doctor who has seen multiple losses? That's a, it's a very good question. So just to go back a little bit, I will also look at other things. Like I will check thyroid function um, just to make sure I'm not missing hypothyroidism in a patient who should be treated. Um, if there are a lot of other things that I talk to my patients about, including um, diet and I, I look for celiac disease also in someone who has uh, gastrointestinal sy- symptoms because celiac disease we know has been associated with um, increased risk of miscarriage. So there's other things that I will look at also kind of depending on the patient's individual story sometimes. Um, when we get to that when we get to that place of uh, unexplained recurrent pregnancy loss, it's it's a tough one, um, especially for young people. Um, you know, everybody immediately wants to go to IVF uh, with genetic testing, um, and that is not necessarily the answer for especially for young uh, patients in that situation. Um, it, it's a difficult one. Sometimes I try and remind my patients, first of all, that just because they've ha- if if it's truly unexplained and everything is normal, they still have a higher chance of having a successful pregnancy and their next pregnancy than they do of having another miscarriage. So that's number so one. So is that a myth or is that real? No, because still, we hear yeah, that a no, lot no. of like, are they more likely to conceive right after a miscarriage? Um, well, it's not necessarily that they're more likely to increase, but the next pregnancy is more is still more likely to be an ongoing successful present pregnancy than another miscarriage. Just statistically Just speaking. Statistically speaking. Statistically speaking. Now, right. I will also, okay. if, even if my patients are going to try again on their own, I will I provide what is commonly known as TLC, right? So um, so first of all, I actually will put my patients on baby aspirin and progesterone um, as these things, um, as these progesterone we know help support a pregnancy. Um, so I'm going to stop you right there because there are so many doctors that won't do that. And that just seems to me like the obvious thing of like, why wouldn't doctors say, okay, you've had two losses. Let's put you on progesterone prior to, so we kind of eliminate that. What is the, what is the reason that other physicians may not do that? That is a very good question. Um, okay. I think most of us do. Um, we start the progesterone in the luteal phase, meaning after we know that ovulation has occurred. So if someone is going to be trying on their own again, I have them test for ovulation with an ovulation kit. And then a couple of days after I know that they've ovulated, then they start the progesterone. Um, usually in a vaginal formulation, which delivers it at the most progesterone directly to the uterus. Progesterone is one of those things I tell my patients, it is certainly not going to hurt anything because extra progesterone never hurt anyone. It just helps support the pregnancy, right? 
So yeah. I, I think I mean, I'm so happy do. to hear you say this. You would be surprised. Not only I, that was my experience of not being able to get it and, and many, many clients of mine as well that essentially are saying, start it when you get the positive pregnancy test. And mine is, my situation was, well, how do we not know that that's too late at that point, right? And or when you come in for your first ultrasound for us to see what's happening and you know, I'm hoping that maybe this is the new trend that doctors are on board with what you're saying here, because that's, I would always just kind of push them to say, keep pushing your doctor because it isn't going to harm you. And the best thing that it can do is help help. lift up that, you know. Right. It has to be used at the right time. It definitely, progesterone has to be used at the right time in the cycle. Um, which has to be after ovulation because that's the only time progesterone should be present. But yes, no, I agree. It's certainly not, it's not going to hurt. It could only potentially help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not Um, to interrupt, but that's big news. Yes. And then the other thing I do for my patients like that is I tell them um, to do a pregnancy test exactly two weeks after they ovulate because progesterone can delay you getting your period, even if you're not pregnant. So I tell them to do a pregnancy test two weeks after ovulation. And if it's positive, then I have them come right in right away. So we start following the beta HCG levels, which are the pregnancy hormone levels. I bring them in for ultrasound after five weeks so we can tell if the pregnancy is in the right place. And we follow very closely. Um, And these patients, a lot of times, it just makes them feel better knowing that someone is putting in effort and caring and following from the beginning. Because a lot of general OBGYNs, um, and because this is the way the general OBGYN practices are, they don't see patients until they're eight, nine, 10 weeks pregnant. And for a lot of these patients, that's just simply too late. Right. Which for anyone who's on the the other side of the fence that has seen a reproductive endocrinologist, to wait that long seems ages, right? Of like, oh my gosh, I've already seen my heartbeat, hopefully at least three times at by nine weeks, et cetera. And it just is beyond us to think, well, how could you possibly wait that long to even see a doctor? Right. So I think it's just very different. But speaking to those people who have had recurrent loss with their regular OB, because I think it's very different than seeing a reproductive endocrinologist, do you suggest that they then, after the two losses, see a fertility doctor or stay with an OB after two losses? So I do work with a lot of general um, OBGYN colleagues in our area who are very, um, very good at performing a very complete uh, workup for recurrent pregnancy loss. Um, so if I feel like if patients talk to their, their doctor about it and they feel like they are getting a complete workup, which they should know what that is and obviously now can know what that involves, um, then they can do that workup with their OBGYN um, as long as they have a conversation with their OBGYN about what's going to happen should something come up abnormal, should nothing come up, uh, come up abnormal, how they're going to follow them in a subsequent pregnancy. If patients don't feel confident in that their doctor is going to do that for them, then they should not wait and they should come to a a fertility specialist right away. Okay. Because I think some people get confused of if I'm having losses, does that mean I have fertility issues, right? Are are one in the same? So it's, so infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss are not 
the same, obviously, right? But they are all fertility, it's all fertility issues and all things that we help with as fertility specialists. Right. Because I think people think, well, I'm not, you know, I don't have, I can get pregnant, so I don't have the right to go to a fertility doctor. And I would argue against that, you know. Oh, I would too. You have every right to go to a fertility doctor. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like, it's seeing a specialist who really focuses in that. You know, if I always use the example, if you break your arm, you're not going to go to a neurologist, right? You're going to go to the appropriate doctor. So getting the lay of the land with somebody who has specialized in this and can really give you the overall picture is you have every right to do that, as you just said. So thank you for mentioning that. Yes. I want to circle back to another thing that I'm so happy that you mentioned that you rarely hear from doctors is this connection with celiac or any sort of gut issues in relation to loss and or pregnancy. I mean, I remember when I first saw my uh, fertility doctor, I was having severe food sensitivities to eggs and I didn't know at the time, but I was on a fertility diet and was having diarrhea nine times a day. My doctor didn't once ask me how my bowels were, what was happening in my body. And Mm. I think that kind of looking at that holistic picture of again, everything, because my blood work looked normal. Everything from that perspective looked like I was healthy, but my visceral system and everything was just being wrecked every day by foods that were inflammation, causing me inflammation in my system. Um, Again, we don't know that that's related or not, but the point was I had seen four different REs through my period of time and not one ever asked me about what my history was with stomach issues and SIBO and all other kinds of things. Um, And I see hundreds of clients as well that, you know, we talk about that, you know, we're taking away those inflammatory foods. And also most doctors don't refer to that. So where do you kind of bring in that type of conversation of recognizing what else is going on with the patient and, and really for this patient to advocate when they go in to see a fertility doctor of what they need to be offering if they're not asking the questions already. Right. So any of my patients would tell you, (laughs) I, I I mean, I, the way I train, the way I've always been, I, I take a very thorough history on the very, on the first day that I meet a patient. So I also believe that it's, you're not just looking at, person is not little boxes that you put them in, right? It's how their entire environment and everything that goes into their daily life affects them. Um, So I take a very thorough history, which anyone should be taking um, to find out because patients won't necessarily volunteer that kind of stuff either. You have to sometimes elicit that information from them. It's not an, an, a fun thing to be sharing with somebody. No. But also, you also f- sometimes feel like this is not the GI specialist, right? This is the fertility doctor, and you don't right. really feel like it's related in any way. Right. But it certainly is. The GI system, a lot of what happens in our GI tract has to do with inflammation um, and, and multiple different levels. So, and inflammation in general can affect the body and certainly can affect. Um, pregnancy and the ability to carry a pregnancy. So like when we have, when I have patients who are known to have celiac and as long as they have it treated and controlled, they, these people treated celiac patients do not have an increased risk of pregnancy loss. It's the ones who don't know about it 
um, and continue to have these symptoms and inflammation in their body that can have issues. Right. Okay. Well, again, bravo to you for looking at the big picture of your patient, because I think there's still some out there that are not necessarily doing, doing that. So I'm happy to hear that. Back to having that loss and you're following somebody's HCG to go down. Why is that so important for to be tracked? And I remember, again, myself as as an example, just feeling like almost obsessed with my number going down so that I could try again because of my age. It was like, can you test it again? Can you test it again? Like, where are we at? Why is that so important for to track to make sure that it's where it needs to be? So you need to make sure that the HCG level goes down to zero. So that means that the pregnancy was entirely resolved. Um, because there can, when women have ectopic pregnancies that can be in the tube that you can't necessarily see that that HCG level will go up and that, uh, an ectopic pregnancy can be dangerous and even life-threatening to women if it's not identified. Um, otherwise it can be in an unknown location. It's rare, but pregnancies can be elsewhere outside the uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, pregnancies, it can be a could be a what's called a molar pregnancy, which is an abnormal type of pregnancy, which can it can also transform and can be even a precancerous and cancerous situation in the body mm-hmm. that needs to be treated before you would be able to go on and try for another pregnancy. Um, so those are all important reasons why to follow the HCG level so that we know that it is zero. I mean, the vast majority of times it goes down to zero. It just everybody's takes a little bit longer, right? You know, some, everybody's doesn't take a little bit longer, but some patients take a little bit longer than others. You never can predict whose is going to take longer than another person's is what I really mean to say. So, and each time, hopefully you only don't have it at all, but if you do have losses, each time can be different. And I know for me with the second one, I had my DNC and was still having complications and there was tissue left over that we, Correct. you know, I had to go to a second uh, opinion because I just knew like something wasn't right. And my first doctor was like, no, everything's good. It's fine. And I just had this gut feeling that something wasn't and there was still tissue left there. So I think that there's multiple reasons, but what I want, the reason I bring this up is the emotional perspective of the journey of the losses as well and how there's this constant reminder of whether you're still bleeding every day. That's just this reminder of the loss that you had and the story that you had in your your mind of, you know, once you saw that positive pregnancy test or you got the call from the doctor that the beta was positive, you go through this in your mind. And so then you go through this grieving process, but then yet again, we're, we're reminded each day, whether it's bleeding or pain or the, the number that we're getting on the HCG level not going down, that you're still in this place of reality of the story that you thought or the baby you thought you were going to have in 40 weeks isn't coming this time. And how do you help your patients to navigate that and kind of come to terms with, one, I think what I was always told is that it's not your fault, right? And you're not broken and all of those things. But when you're in it and it's happening to you, you kind of do feel like it's your fault. Well, my body failed me. It. Right. How can you say it's not my fault, you know? So right. as a physician, as a doctor, 
my husband and I say this all the time, you guys have the hardest job in the world to have to be dealing with these types of situations. But how do you, you know, personally help your patients to navigate through that? So, I mean, one of the reasons I became a fertility specialist is because, I mean, I became a fertility specialist because I feel like the best way I could make an impact, and that's why I became a doctor to begin with, is to help people have their families, right? To, for most people, not everyone, but for most people, having a family, having a baby is at their core what they want in their life at some point, right? So to, and nobody goes through life expecting that they're going to have difficulties with having a baby. So right. when it's encountered, it's really stressful and emotionally difficult. And I felt like the best way I knew how to make an impact and help my patients was to help them realize their all their hopes and dreams of having a family. So I have always looked at fertility, whether it is patients having difficulty getting pregnant or having multiple losses, as it's not, it's not just a physical problem. It is an emotional and psychological problem for most people. Because as you said, it's so difficult. Um, I always, the way I always looked at fertility is I think it's having been through medical training and OBGYN residency, I generally feel have always felt that fertility issues are more, even more difficult than even a cancer diagnosis. Because we, I think everybody, you know, cancer is extremely difficult to come to terms with and to manage and all the complications. But I think fertility is so rocks you at like, at literally like the core of who you are. And is that much more painful for people to um, a situation to, to deal with. So I have always approached my job as I am not just a doctor to treat physical symptoms and a condition, but I am here to talk to and to discuss the stress and the emotions that you're having about everything. And if you're having a hard day, you should call me and talk to me because I know that a lot of you're going to be in a situation where most of the people around you, either you don't want to tell them that you're going through this or don't understand because they haven't been through it. And I've been through this with a lot of, a lot of patients. And so I'm always there for my patients. I always said like, I will help you get there. I will help you reach your dream. We just need to take it day by day. That is so amazing. And what a gift that you are to your patients to be able to walk them through that process. Because I think most people are just waiting for that that gift of somebody to to say that and to hold their hand through it, even though we know that that is not your wheelhouse. That is not what you went to school for, to hold their hand through the process. But it is such a big part of their success in the end of feeling secure and feeling hopeful that they will get through it and they can still build their family and all of those things. So I really appreciate from being on the other side of it that you do that because I've always said too, it's another day in the office for you guys. Unfortunately, that's the reality of the field that you're in. But for us, it changes our life forever. And we will always remember that day in that office when we didn't see a heartbeat or, you know, whatever it was that we knew that that story had ended for us. So to just know that you can meet somebody where they're at and understand that from a human experience perspective as well, not just being, you know, highly educated in your field and us on the other side of the table really bridges that gap of, 
again, just being human and women as a collective, which I think is really powerful. And the other thing I want to state is your comment about the cancer patient. I'm sure you know, but for anybody who's not listening, I've mentioned this before, that the Mayo Clinic did a study in 2013 that did say that the fertility patients is the same stress level as a cancer patient. And so if you are going through it, don't feel like you're losing your mind or your stress and your sadness and all of those things are unjustified because there are studies to prove that it actually is justified and you do need that help and support going through it. And it's just a short time, even though it feels like a lifetime when you're in it, you will get through the other side. And there's a lot of people out there that want to help support you and and serve you during that time. Well, this is why I think it's great that there are now you know, we have fertility coaches and, you know, people who really sit and listen and talk and can provide that kind of support to patients that didn't always exist. No, I mean, when didn't. I was in my training, that didn't exist. We didn't, we didn't have those. You could go to a therapist, right? Um, but may, they may or may not be able to adequately address the concerns specifically um, for my fertility patients. And I think it's amazing. We have, you know, I think it's great that we have all kinds of avenues now to help patients navigate their journey, whatever that journey may be. Absolutely. I mean, I remember mine wasn't that long ago and it was still the only, when I, the poor phlebotomist taking my blood, you know, I'm sitting there crying and she doesn't know what to say to me. But when I finally asked, do you guys have any anybody I can talk to and support. And mind you, I was already a life coach for 10 plus years at this time. So I was very aware that, you know, this was not her job to be, you know, helping me through this emotional journey of these losses and whatnot. But really the only thing that they had at that time was resolve. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. even a perspective of being my age, it was very different than the other people in that group. And so sometimes it doesn't always feel good to have a situation where you're sharing to other people that uh, maybe you don't feel can relate to you and or if that therapist isn't open to sharing their fertility story and and the understanding of, I, I know what that feels like to be waiting for these test results every other day or whatnot. So I think, again, the ability to connect with somebody who's gone through it, whether it's a friend of a friend or a coach or a therapist or the doctor who can help refer you to somebody, know that there is a lot of help out there now. And those losses, you can get the answers, hopefully, and get onto your rainbow baby sooner than you think. And getting that support through it will will, will get you there. I, I agree completely. How can people find you, Dr. Landay? Well, I, um, I work at RMA of Southern California. Um, we our office is in West Los Angeles at Olympic and Sawtell. We are online. I have an Instagram account, um, and anyone can. If we do telehealth appointments, I do in-office appointments. So I've had patients even um, schedule with me who don't live necessarily in the LA area, um, but wanted to talk to me uh, about what's going on with them before they make a you know necessarily make a trip out to LA, and I. We are open to that, and I encourage patients to do that. I'm so glad that you brought that up, too. I I think that that is really, really necessary. And whether you get talked to one doctor or really a second opinion, this is such a big time, emotional 
financial investment and finding somebody that you connect with, whether that means you need to get on a plane to see that doctor will make all the difference in your journey. And if you've listened to this and you like what you hear, please make that consult with Dr. Landay, whether it's over the phone or if you can fly out in person, because it really does make a difference in your journey. Because if you feel comfortable on that path, knowing that you have not only confidence in the doctor that you're with, but in your situation and your environment, it, that's that's half the battle, knowing that yeah. you're making the right decision. I agree. You should be able to have that connection with your doctor um, because it is such a personal um, and emotional part of, it's an emo emotional and personal journey that people go on this fertility journey. So you really do need to be able to connect with your doctor so that you feel open and comfortable talking to them about absolutely anything. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here today and we will connect with you again soon. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.